You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 192. And uh, usually we have a little follow-up before we get into the, the regular native plant discussion, but I don't we've, have had, any, a, we've I, had a lot on our plate, so <laughs> we didn't get a chance to fill that in. We had a good holiday season. I hope mm-hmm. everyone else did. All of our listeners had a great holiday season as well, and we're uh, hunkering down for trade show and conference season yes yeah we have like six things going on within the next we have quite six a few weeks things yeah going on yeah it's uh actually this could be i don't it's not really follow up because this is happening somewhat in the past somewhat in the future right yeah so this, when you're listening to this there will we, be we'll one have, thing done yeah. yeah we will have just finished uh the mid-atlantic nursery trade show which is a giant uh behemoth of a trade show that's all Primarily nurseries and greenhouse and affiliated things uh, go there. Um, that's in Baltimore, Maryland every year, and it yeah. has been. Last year, I actually went around and I made a video of all the native plant producers that I liked. I was thinking about and that. And you never, then published I never it. posted it because I was like, <laughs> ah, I don't want people to be upset that they weren't because, included. Like I said, I there's ones that um, I said, yeah, the ones that I liked. There's a handful of others that that. Uh, I don't want to say that we dislike them, but there's just um, there, there's no hatred or it, yeah. it's just that our philosophies don't align. Yeah, maybe that's the way there. There's yeah. there's friendly competition that we we have the same uh, ideas and philosophies, and then there's some where it clashes a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we're friendly when yeah, we see exactly. each other, that's but a really we just don't. Good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I never posted it because I was like, I don't want to be. I don't want to stir the pot. Although I guess I'm doing that right now. Is, <laughs> They're probably oh, but not I'm listening. Not, but I'm not naming names. So <laughs> no, it's it, no. where if the, with the other one, I was kind of naming, naming names. names of, hey, yeah. here's who I think is is yeah. good. Um, and then you have uh, uh, what and was I going to say? Two weeks we have. Oh well, then I'm going to Utah. Oh, you're going to Utah. So this is actually something for. Um, I, I'm looking for suggestions. You have when you, if you listen when this comes out on Friday, you have. Four days yeah. to get me ideas. <laughs> I'm going to Utah. Uh, I'm actually representing uh, New Jersey at the uh, American Farm Bureau Convention. And um, so, but I figured a lot of that was stuff we got, I, a lot of my like hotel, that kind of stuff yeah. got covered for me to go. So I'm like, well, I'm going to have my wife and son tag along. And then, well, since we're going, we might as well spend a couple extra days out there. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So we went and booked our flights for a few days earlier, and we're going to drive down to to Arches in Canyonlands. Uh, we're flying to Salt Lake City. So, uh, yeah, if you have any good spots I should check out, or, or it's uh, January is a great time of year to botanize in, <laughs> in the high desert <laughs> of Utah. But, uh, but, yeah, if you have any recommendations of places I should check out, I'm I'm very open because we have a very open schedule. It's just kind of renting a car. We're going to drive down and spend a couple days there before driving up back up to Salt Lake. And I'm going to be in meeting rooms for days on end. So you have that. And then we have all within a 
three-day period, we have the Total Pro Expo, mm-hmm. uh, which is New Jersey's uh, nursery yeah. landscape show. We have Plantorama mm-hmm. in uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Botanical, Botanical Gardens, Gardens, which you're speaking at. Yes, yeah. Um, you're part of a panel discussion, and we also have um, oh, what, oh, the, the New Jersey yeah. ASLA, which mm-hmm. is uh, landscape. What is a? It's American mm-hmm. Society of Landscape Architects. Yes. So uh, we have that, the New Jersey chapter, um, and Tom and I are actually doing a live podcast uh, at Total Pro where mm-hmm. we're going to be interviewing um, at least Steve Castorani from North Creek, and we're talking about American Beauties. Yeah. And we're going to play that as a – that will be a, a yeah, podcast. That's going to be really a – so Steve with North Creek and then Mark, Mark Salou from Pride's Corner, they're the two of the founding members of the American Beauties Native Plant Program that you'll see in a lot of garden centers. And really, we want to talk about native plant cultivars, um, why branding is important when it comes to retail uh, garden sale, like garden yeah. center sales, yeah. and uh, kind of the, the history of the program, where they see the program going. And then really what I want to do in particular is clear up a lot of the misconceptions I've seen with yeah. cultivars and native plant brands um, because there's a lot of wrong information on Facebook. Yes. And uh, I I've have the privilege of knowing some of these folks and had it explained to me how some of this these cultivars came about and uh, yeah. and what you see online is often a little off. off. Yeah. I, I was going to say a little off base. It's way off base in many cases. So we're bringing on the the, 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 the person himself yeah. Yeah. to so. kind of clear some of that stuff up. So we're excited about that. We have the uh, Bowman Hill Bowman's Hill Wallflower Preserve Land Ethics Symposium, the 24th annual, where we've already pre-recorded our native plant growers panel uh, with John Mark Courtney from Kind Earth uh, Growers, Donna Derringer from Bowman's Hill Wallflower Preserve, and Jim McKenzie from Octorero Native Plant Nursery. Mm-hmm. So you can register for that and see it, and then it will continue – the conversation continues the next day on the podcast. Um, I have a three-day think tank for mm-hmm. uh, seed supply in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic uh, Summit in Virginia, and I think that kind of ends the craziness, and then it will be spring. Yeah, yeah. and that starts a whole new craziness. Yeah, and so. then it's spring, and then I don't think we have anything. We talked about the national ASLA in I don't think that's till October. Yeah, yeah, so. that's the yeah we got a lot of time before yeah, that yeah but yeah so if you're going to any of these events uh, make sure you come say hello we actually had a few folks at the we had a spur of the moment uh conference, exhibit, yeah. conference that we did last, last week. week and um we had a handful of folks come up and say hello and that they listened and gave us their thoughts and so. grab some new stickers yeah. so com- yeah exactly. we have brand new stickers with the new logo so you have to make sure you stop by and see us and mm-hmm. grab those stickers so yeah so we had no follow-up and there you go we just spent <laughs> five minutes yeah. with follow-up oh, yeah so, uh, so yeah, with that, let's get into that native plant content that you crave, and we're going to get started with the plants we're vibing with this week, and that's hot. Oh, I can't yet. Oh, um, wait. Oh, wait. I, I didn't set it up. All right. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, and we've yet to receive a cease and desist from Paris Hilton. One of our coworkers just asked us that on Friday. Yeah. If yeah. if there's been any issue. But it, didn't we for, – for that brief of a clip, is it public domain? At that point, I don't know because what Steamboat Willie just became public domain, and he's oh, what a hundred years old. Hundred so. years old, okay. Um, so maybe not. Yeah, 
but we're not. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a catchphrase that is way worn out. It's welcome in the American <laughs> yeah. public. It's not um, even relevant it's, anymore. Yeah, it's, <laughs> is that show that was from the? She was like made that famous. What was it? Simple yeah, Life. Simple Life. Yeah. Um, Which, how long ago was that? That's fifteen I don't know, years. At least maybe? fifteen. At least I probably probably twenty. I mean. It's so How? irrelevant. We might as well just have a clip that says, "Where's the beef?" <laughs> <laughs> I had. There's to ask, probably people who don't even know what that. Well, means. I had to ask yeah. uh, Christiane, who's our producer for uh, a native plant every day, is wearing an American beef. She's she's part of the farm fam- of a farm family, and I'm like, "Are you old enough to know what where's the beef means?" She goes, "Only from the movie Pixels." Like, I don't know. I, what's the movie Pixels? Uh, I think it's an Adam new? Sandler okay. movie, but it's I I don't know, but apparently they used the reference in the in the movie. Yeah, well, so I'm too old to know the movie Pixels, uh, but old enough to know of where's the beef. About a month ago, almost exactly a month ago, was the 20 year anniversary of The Simple Life, uh, which is a reality <sighs> TV show that ran for five seasons, starting on December 2nd, 2003, with season one, episode one. Rodeo versus Rodeo, aka by LA. So, <laughs> twenty yeah. years, twenty years. Wow, All I'm right. doing the math right. That's yeah, 20, that's, yeah. Because we just hit 2023. Yeah, that yeah. would be twenty we're, years. Right? We're coming. Yeah, so a little just celebrated its twenty twentieth anniversary. Wow. All right, now Something I feel something else. Yeah, yeah. I can't I believe know. it was on for five seasons. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, friend, all right what is your plant that you're vibing with this week so mine might be a little controversial even though it is a native plant because it's a native plant that not everyone thinks highly of because it tends to have an aggressive nature but i find that important in certain conditions so my my plant is typha latifolia which is broadleaf cattail and uh the information that i'm using is from wallflower.org, and I've included a lot because there's a lot of benefits even Mm -hmm. though there are some things that are detractors. But um, it's native to most of the Americas, a stout stem perennial that can get 4 to 10 foot tall, often found in dense clumps, broad linear leaf blades. The dense brown cylindrical flowering spike persists through autumn before becoming a downy mass of white. This tall, stiff plant bears a yellowish club-like spike of tiny male flowers extending directly above a brownish cylinder of female flowers. Cattails have a tendency to take over wetlands. They are easiest to control in a small pond or container, good for wetland gardens and habitats. Cattails are considered a sign of transitional environment because they grow where land is changing from wet to dry habitat, creating dense monocultures. Their aggressive behavior behavior often requires management, much like weeds. By its creeping rootstocks, this typical marsh perennial forms dense stands in shallow water and provides nesting sites for red-winged blackbirds, ducks, geese, and fish. Uh, muskrats and beavers enjoy the shoots and roots while teal ducks, finches, and least bitterns eat the seed. Historically, many parts of the cattail have been eaten and used in a variety of ways. References to them appear in written records dating uh, to the 1600s, and it's known they were found in caves in Ohio dating 800 to 1400 AD. The rootstock is mostly starch and edible. It was uh, ground, to meal by, uh, ground into meal by First Nations. And the early colonists also used it for food. The young shoots can be eaten like asparagus. The immature flower spikes can be boiled and eaten like corn on the cob. And the sprouts at the tips of the rootstock can be used in salads or boiled and served as greens. Cattail's pollen can also be used as a flower substitute in bread making and was additionally used in Native American religious ceremonies. So I think when you look at all 
the benefits that this plant has as far as food to wildlife mm-hmm. and cover and nesting. I mean, we have a colleague that that swears about muskrats and and uh, cattails. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He loves cattails. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think there's there really is a lot to love. There's a reason it does what it does. Yeah. It's um, we from an ecology standpoint, we like to see more diversity, but this is what happens in successional transition too. Yeah. So this is what's supposed to happen first. Uh, it's we just don't have the ecosystems a lot of times set up for the actual succession to happen. So you're left with cattail yeah. overlord or, or a cattail over whatever, just cattails forever. Yeah, And we have a lot of land in transition, which is why it's important. Like I would rather see cattails and phragmites taking hold because uh, yeah. phragmites isn't contributing mm-hmm. uh, as much to the ecosystem to wildlife. That's arguable. There's people uh, who will argue against uh, that's, that. That's but true. I, I agree with you. I think well, cattails are probably contributing. I would assume are contributing quite a bit more, more. than Phragmites. Yeah. To the food web, I think it's contributing a little bit more. Uh, and cattails can take a foot of permanent inundation, can take a dry, can take that transitional. I'm trying to remember if they're salt tolerance. I think the the narrow leaf, the angustifolia, can take a small, yeah. small uh, salinity, like two parts per thousand. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of great benefits for humans and wildlife. Yeah. And I think it gets a bad rap a lot of the times and sometimes deservedly so. But mm-hmm. I think if, you, if you're if you able to manage it, it's a very important yeah. plant. Now, have, did you eat the, the cattail uh, shoots when I brought them in and I cooked them? I think I did. I don't remember who did. I think Christiane tried some. Maybe we have a lot. Did we don't I, have the most adventurous eaters in our office no. where I, I went and picked these. And they were they I were probably a, a little bit past their their peak. They were a little bit fatter than I would have liked them, um, but and I I cooked them like I I didn't give them the care and preparation they deserved. I threw them in the microwave and then put a little <laughs> bit of salt on. Them. And they they still weren't they weren't bad yeah. by any means, but I've cooked them where I actually like, grill them with a little butter and salt on them, and they were really good. Uh, like I wouldn't say it's like oh man, this is five star restaurant, great. It's just like, but it was edible. It and was it a nice alternative, nice. yeah. And it was kind of, I don't know, just had like a little more complexity. But yeah, it's a. Uh, I want to try some of the other um, preparations there, but but don't eat the the punks when they're just no. in full. Yeah, you've seen the videos of them where people are like biting into them and they're choking <laughs> almost to death. So yeah, something else. Yeah, don't don't do that. Yeah. But it's- I'm also looking at the cattail pollen being used as a flower substitutes. Like how many cattails? Would you need to make like a pound of flour? I don't know. That's That'd a good be quite question. A bit. But it, in dense stands, you can get a lot of punks. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Is that, that – that's not a technical term for the flower heads, punks, or the seed heads. I think it is. is I it? thought it was. Yeah. Is it? I know. Yeah. That's what I've always – I've been calling them that since a kid, but I always assumed that was more slang. No, I, I assumed that was the technical term. All right. Well, we're going to do so. it quick. Are cattails called punks? Uh, once fertilized, the female flowers transform into the familiar brown cigars, also called candlewicks, punks, ducktails, or marsh beetles. I don't so, know so, why they're called that. But, I don't know either. Uh, and I never heard of the other, the other them called cigars, candlewicks, ducktails, or marsh beetles. I've only heard heard them called punks. Um, well, I think I told, interesting. I, I know we've had this conversation before on the podcast but as a kid 
if we got our hands on punks, we would light them and they burn very slowly yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. that the, the benefit was keeping mosquitoes away with the slow burn, burning punks. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually accurate, but as kids, that's what we used to do. We would walk around with one lit saying, I'm keeping the mosquitoes away. Yeah. But it I don't probably know. didn't hurt. Yeah. Um, I think any yeah. fire more than likely probably yeah, keeps. Yeah, I would think so. So, but all the right. benefit, it, it just really slowly burns. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So my plant this week uh, is a a feast for your ears. All it's, right, I'm ready. Something I don't know if I I don't know if I'm gonna be able to pronounce it right. Uh, it is uh, La Shoshi, uh also known as Kaalu Ka- Wits. Um, is that Klingon? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. That is a uh, that is uh, an Aztec and Mayan. Okay. And right. my plant this week is not necessarily native to North America, but it's native to, I guess, parts of North America, yeah. um, being southern Mexico, and right on the North America, Central America border. And okay. it's more commonly known as the poinsettia. Oh, and very nice. This is something that's actually happening now. It, I just saw, I would have loved to do this for our buzz that was in between, or right around Christmas. Oh, yeah. However, I found out right after we recorded our episode for that time so of course uh yeah so i have this is my plant this week and i'll uh, i'll give you some details about it and then my article actually goes more in depth on this subject okay and why i threw out those tongue twisters for <laughs> names in the beginning so the poinsettia uh is com is a commercially important flowering plant species of the diverse spurge family uh indigenous to mexico and central america the poinsettia was first described by europeans in 1834 is particularly well known for its red and green foliage and is widely used in Christmas floral displays. It derives its common English name from Joel Roberts Joel Roberts Poinsett, the first United States minister in Mexico, who is credited with introducing the plant to the US in the eighteen twenties. Poinsettias are shrubs or small trees with heights of uh, 0.6 to four meters, which is two to thirteen feet tall. And though often stated to be highly toxic, the poinsettia is not dangerous to pets or children. Exposure to the plant, even consumption, will most often result in no effect, though it can cause nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. So, have like many seen, other plants, is Have you ever diarrhea. seen the poinsettia tree? I have not, no. I, yeah, it's yeah. pretty – the funny thing was literally two weeks ago, Agatha and I had this conversation. Uh, was, yeah. We were Googling photos. I'm like, no, it's like a, like yeah. a shrubby tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So – yeah, so uh, and it doesn't typically bloom. I mean, it's forced to bloom at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like I think they start putting them in dark in October, and then like forcing an early yeah. winter so that they bloom, or you get that that color at Christmas mm-hmm. time. But that's not their natural. Yeah. Well, I guess in in Central America, before they were, I well, but then they were. It does say they were propagated for a long time. It, a lot of it's in my article, yeah. so I don't want to spoil okay. my article later. All but right. um, yeah, I thought it was kind of timely and. Uh, and it's interesting knowing, I just, I, knowing that plant, I assumed it has had foreign origins, which in a way it does for New Jersey or it does clearly for New Jersey, but, um, it's not as far away as, as it could be from other places. And then two, I, I like knowing it's, uh, it's common name in, from its traditional range. I think that's kind of neat. So. Uh, yeah, but I'll get in more of that in a couple minutes here. Awesome. So I'm I'm pretty sure that most of you have had a poinsettia yeah. in your house at some point or another. Um, and cattails are something you may or may not want to plant. So it's interesting take on on that's hot this week. Um, 
you know, if you have the right conditions, if you're a listener and you're in uh, southern southern North America and you have the, the right place, I'm sure you may already have a poinsettia tree. Or uh, if you have a, a good condition where you can really keep cattail in check, I think it would be a very good – Very, we see them around our pond. I see blackbird, mm-hmm. uh, red-winged blackbirds oh, yeah. uh, on, on the stalks all the time, and it's, it's one of my favorite things to see. So if you have the right area and you can add that to your property, please do. Um, you ready for a little bit of this or that? This yeah. one's been a long time coming. Oh, yeah. We, we, we waited a while for this. Yeah, I, did, I think we did. 188 was when we did this. So let's let's get into this or that. So I want to update because I wrote this in a while ago. I I had myself winning eight to six, but I just I won. believe you did. Um, I looked the other day. And I, think I think it was eight it was. to seven last time I looked, but I just want to do a very quick uh, checkup. No, it's eight to six. Not a lot of votes considering. Yeah, we gave it an extra two weeks, but it was the holiday, and, and I know everyone's busy at that time of the year. So I did win eight to six. I'm going to choose to go first. Oh, by the way, our articles were mine were birds and ag are vulnerable to heat, and your article was uh, the fastest way to kill your lawn. So that was the follow up on that. Um, if you're okay with it, I'm going to go first, and I'm just looking to see mine. My article's two pages. It looks like yours is about two pages also. Mm-hmm. So. If it becomes too much, give me like the cut it sign <laughs> and I'll I'll cut it. So I did get this article. It was suggested by one of our listeners, Adam Lewis, and, and he had tweeted it to us. Um, and it's called Discovery Inside Unearthed Bottle Would Have Shocked the Scientists Who Buried It in 1879. This is by Kylie Martin. Originally uh, was published in the Detroit Free Press and then it was picked up and it was also uh, through the AP and was – Published in USA Today. In 1879, botanist William J. Beale filled 20 bottles with soil and seeds and buried them on what is now Michigan State uh, University's campus grounds. In April 2021, the 16th bottle was unearthed and its seeds were planted. Now MSU scientists have discovered not all the seeds were quite what they seem to be. Despite being one of the oldest scientific experiments in the world, the Beale seed experiment continues to surprise researchers. More than two years after the latest dig, plant biologists used molecular genetic testing to find that one of the seeds was unknowingly a viable hybrid between two species, a discovery that would have shocked Beale, who buried the bottles decades before the world knew that DNA existed. Beale intended his experiment to examine seed longevity, how long seeds can remain dormant within soil and still sprout when exposed to favorable conditions. While Beale's original purpose still holds up, the experiment has become more relevant to ecology and evolutionary biology, particularly in conserving rare species as well as ecosystem restoration by preserving native species and ridding invasive species. In 1879, Beale was a botany professor at Michigan Agricultural College, which later became Michigan State University. Per MSU's land-grant agreement, Beale was on a mission to help farmers increase their crop production by eliminating weeds. In a time before herbicides and GMOs, Beale decided to conduct an experiment to investigate how long unwanted seeds can remain viable while buried deep within the soil. Beale filled 20 narrow-necked glass bottles with sandy soil and 50 seeds from 23 common weed species. He buried the 20 bottles in a line upside down and open to protect the seeds from water while allowing them to experience other natural conditions like temperature and humidity. Then he recorded their secret location on a map so that he could return every five years to unearth one bottle and test the seed's viability uh, by attempting to grow them. 
He continued the experiment this way until he retired in 1910 and decided to hand the top-secret experiment to another academic, MSU botany professor H.T. Darlington. In 1920, under Darlington's control, he decided to extend the interval from five years to ten years between digs to help prolong the study. Most seed lost viability within the first 60 years of the experiment, but others like Verbascum blateria, more commonly known as moth mullen, consistently persisted. In the time that the experiment was traded off to three other scientists, G.P. Steinbauer in 1960 and uh, Drs. A. Kivelin and R.S. Bandersky from 1970 to 1980, the seed still preserved. In 1980, the scientists decided to prolong the study once more with 20-year intervals between digs, lengthening the, the eventual end date when all bottles had been unearthed to 2100. By 2000, the experiment had fallen into the hands of MSU professor Jan Zivart and plant biologist and associate professor Frank Toluski. They repeated Beale's experiment per usual, dig up the 121-year-old bottle, plant the seeds, and see whether they germinate. And germinate they did, except something didn't quite look right. Of the 1,150 seeds in the bottle, 25 seedlings of moth mullen germinated, but two of the plants looked like Two of the plants looked a little odd to the scientists. They began to theorize that the plants were hybrids of two different species of mullen plants, but at the time, they didn't have the technology to confirm or deny it. In uh, 2021, Toluski had become the leader of the experiment and recruited associate professor of plant biology David Lowry. Soon after, their team was joined by assistant professor Marjorie Weber, associate professor Lars Brudvig, and molecular biologist Margaret Fleming. The dig was supposed to have occurred in 2020. But due to complications from the coronavirus pandemic, the scientists chose to push the dig back a year to maintain the integrity of the experiment and being performed in a lab setting. Finally, the five scientists and recent addition, evolutionary biologist Richard Lenski, set out to find Beale's 16th bottle in April 2021. They worked in the middle of the night under the shadow of darkness as to prevent other bottles being prematurely exposed to light and to maintain the secrecy of the bottle's locations. After nearly two hours of complications with the map and digging, the team unearthed one of the 142-year-old bottles and took it back to their growth chamber, a climate-controlled laboratory on the MSU campus. The contents of the bottles were spread out on a tray of a sterile spotting, potting soil, watered and left to grow seven days later, and much to the pleasant surprise of the scientists, moth mullen sprouts poked their leaves through the soil once again. Um, as the 20 viable plants continued to grow, one began to look slightly different from the others, just as Two did during the 2000 dig. Fleming was already conducting a secondary exp experiment on the seeds that didn't sprout to test their DNA and see just how dead they actually were. But using the same technology, they were able to sequence the plant's genomic DNA to finally confirm their species. They found that their thoughts in 2000 dig had been right. Each of the odd-looking plants were a hybrid between Verbascum blateria and, or moth mullen and Verbascum thaspus also called common mullen. The team went further to test two disparate plants uh, that were saved from the 2000 dig and found that those two plants were the same verbascum hybrids. In the 140 years plus since the experiment's start, the question of seed bank longevity has gained new relevance, including for rare species conservation and ecosystem restoration. For example, prairie plantings on former farmland, Brudvig said in a news release. Our findings help to inform which plant species like verbascum may not be may or might be problematic weeds for a restoration project like this and which other species may not depending on how long a field was farmed before being restored. They reported their most recent findings with the hybrid seeds was published 
to the American Journal of Botany in October 9th, 2023. Now with just four bottles left of the experiment, who knows what new findings and additional discoveries Beal Seeds will bring. The Beal experiment will ultimately end when we run out of bottles, Lowry said in the news release. If seed germinates again from our next dig, we may need to consider extending the time between bottle extractions to every 30 years. It's still a little early to put it on my calendar, but I'm looking forward to seeing if we could take up any more seeds in 2040. So I just – I didn't know an experiment like that existed or someone had yeah. the actually foresight to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I love that they had the foresight to kind of – as they kept getting seeds germinating to kind of prolong it. Mm. It's just interesting how long some of those seeds can literally remain viable in seed banks and that they're – you know, we we always talk about you know what's native mm-hmm. and, and you have things cost – Cross hybridizing in nature, anyway. Like mm-hmm. and we we've talked about that, like for seed purity and things like that. Yeah. Want to keep? It's just interesting how long this has been going on and how we just kind. I don't want to say overlook it, but we don't always put it in part of the equation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I I get it. It's um, I think I've told this story before. Now this isn't 142 years. This is uh this is maybe 20 or yeah. 30 years, but. We bought a had bought a Christmas tree farm to turn into a, a wildflower seed farm, and removed a lot of the Christmas trees. There was some trees that we left and just didn't didn't touch, and they were like the oldest trees on that farm. So at the time we bought it, they were between like ten and twenty feet tall. Now there's some that are quite a bit taller than that. And uh, this past year, that's part of the quail project that we're trying to create quail habitat in the back of our farm. So I went and pulled a bunch of those trees out. I left the, quite a few of them too, but opened up some of these uh, Christmas tree blocks uh, with these giant trees in them and milkweed came up. And I was just, I was, I don't know what the actual time frame is, but there probably hadn't been the ability for milkweed to grow there. Definitely since we own the farm, I would probably estimate up to five to ten years before we bought the farm. So you're looking at over 12 years, uh, probably 12 to 20 years time frame where was the last time that you could have even had milkweed growing there. But within a few months of those those trees being gone, milkweed came right up. So it was too early for new milkweed seed to drift in, so it had to be from something the seed. It had to be something that was there already. Yeah, yeah, so that's just kind of shows even that's a pretty impressive lifespan to me from a a seed standpoint. That's something the last like fifteen twenty year time frame. And that that land had been farmed previously. Oh yeah, because it it was a Christmas tree farm. They also did bare root seedling. So I'm assuming before that block of Christmas trees maybe had been used for bare root, but it was a it was an agricultural field before yeah. the previous owner bought it. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, for, for hundreds of years. Yeah. So, well, yeah, hundreds yeah, of years. Yeah, hundreds of years. Yeah. Was, I think it was first farmed. Um, the original owner was farmed it in, like, the 1740s. Wow. So, or at, at least he owned it in the 1740s. I don't know when they actually started farming it. It's actually... um. I believe it was part of the the so there's Shreveport, Louisiana. This is like a little bit of our local history. Shreveport, Louisiana was named after a guy whose last name was Shreve, 
who helped uh, with steamboat transportation on the Mississippi River. He was born in a house that was like across the street from our farm. And that uh, his father was uh, a officer in the French and Indian War and the Revolutionary War. Wow. Uh, actually, he might not have been. The, he was definitely in the French and Indian War. But uh, the house was built in 1742. So he was born, I think, post or around the Revolutionary War era in that house, eventually moved to Louisiana. I think. Wow. And, um, yeah, but that's why Shreveport, Louisiana is tied to Columbus, New Jersey. Wow. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. And yeah, someone- so, I, but I, looking through the historical records, I'm, they had owned that whole parcel. Yeah. Uh, and it was called Mount Pleasant, which is why we live, I Mount live Pleasant on Mount Road. Pleasant Road. And, uh, which, uh, is not a mountain by any means. It's a slight rise in elevation, <laughs> yes. but it is kind of cool when you're on this high point and you can see yeah. in every different direction. And so. didn't someone give like when, when your family bought that property, didn't someone gift like a relic? Yeah. It was, uh, found? when they had excavated the irrigation pond, I guess they found like a piece of petrified wood Yeah, and they gave it to us and like shellacked it and. It's on a, a board. Now, oh, that's pretty so. cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so very interesting. I just saw a whole, uh, I was going to say Twitter thread, but now it's an X.com thread uh, the other day. This guy, this is just, this is way off topic, but this guy had bought, he was, I guess he was a lawyer and he was a historian too. And he had been working with these other historians and they found like this, there was an old plantation house in West Virginia that they thought was built where an old like frontier revolutionary or fort had been built. Okay. And he, the last person to live there sold it to him. And he's like, I had to buy it just so I could tear it apart and see if this was actually the fort or not. And so he's basically was redone in like the civil, like 1850s before the civil war. And, uh, and then it really hadn't been upgraded since then. Um, so it still had, it was like this cool old house yeah. and he was seeing if it was like a cool older thing Yeah, and he like ripped out all this like 1850s plaster and discovered that it was actually the revolutionary war for it. But he was oh, showing wow. all the, um, he kind of did like the, the pictures of the steps of like what he took and oh, like what he found and just things he found when he was doing it and that's pretty awesome. all these old forks and like bone, uh, bone handled forks and all this like Talk about relics. Wow. He's like, he was, he was even finding like uh, musket balls from really? in the yard from where they must have been like target practicing or something. Oh wow, that's yeah. pretty awesome. So yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty cool. cool. Right, if you're into cool. history. So. But it's I I thought it was a good article just talking yeah, no, about I seed viability did. and seed banks and what what we know and what we don't know. Obviously, with succession, a lot of that stuff is you know viable seed banks, but we yeah. just don't know how long. And it's nice to know that there's a study. Going on that long, yeah, and it's it's it yeah it's really fascinating that it had been someone had started this 140 years ago, yeah. um, and it kind of gives you a little bit of of pause. One's thinking about all the invasive plants now. It's like, oh, I wonder how long their seeds last in the seed bank. Yeah. But on the other hand, it gives you a little bit of hope, and it's like, oh, how many seeds are or of native plants are in the seed bank that exactly. just given the right opportunity are still able to, to come up. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Cool article. You, I, I, well, we know what your article is. I alluded is about. to, yeah, yeah, I alluded to what my article was about earlier. And, 
I'll read some and then give some of my thoughts. All right, awesome. Uh, but my article is titled, titled uh, Poinsettia's Origins, Namesake's Checkered History, Get New Attention. Oh, all and, right. Um, so I'll, I'll give a little backstory on why I picked this article. Or actually, I do say even more why I sought out this article is uh, there's a, a, a Instagram forger slash like ethnobotanist um, named Linda Black Elk, and she had put up something about uh, with that plant name that I forget how to pronounce already, <laughs> and uh, and uh, well, the indigenous name for poinsettia from the Aztecs. And I was like, oh, I've always wondered about this. Like, where are actually poinsettias actually from? Like, what is their actual native range? And I was surprised to find out that it was Central America. And uh, then I dug it even more. So I was like, there's got to be an article about how she was She was kind of writing through, like, let's start calling it by its indigenous name. name yeah. Not by the guy who brought it to North America in the 1820s yeah. or 1840s. Let's, let's refer to, like, what its actual name yeah. is. And... Um, so I found an article that was from uh, middle mid December. Okay, that was kind of on that subject from uh, VoiceofAmerica dot com, which is a state owned uh, like public newspaper. I was gonna say I've never which heard, I of, it heard of. Yeah. So when I saw the name, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is really a quality source, of, <laughs> <laughs> but it like dated back to uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, I think started. Oh wow. Well, okay. Um, or sanctioned it. So. Yeah, so I'll read some, and I'll give some more of my thoughts after. Like Christmas trees, Santa, and reindeer, the poinsettia has long been ubiquitous, uh, a ubiquitous symbol of the holiday season in the U.S. and across Europe. But now, nearly 2,000, or 2,000, <laughs> years after the plant was uh, with the bright crimson leaves was introduced to the U.S., attention is once again turned to the poinsettia's origins and the checkered history of its namesake, a slave owner and lawmaker who played a part in the forced removal of Native Americans from their land, uh, some people would now rather call the plant by the name of its indigenous origin in southern Mexico. Some things to know. Where did the poinsettia come from? The name comes fr- uh, from the amateur bot- botanist and statesman Joel Roberts Poinsett, who happened upon the plant in 1828 during his tenure as the first U.S. minister of the newly independent Mexico. Poinsett, who was interested in science as well as potential cash crops, sent clippings of the plant to his home in South Carolina and to a botanist in Philadelphia who affixed the... Oh, man. Epon... Eponymous? Eponymous. Yeah, eponymous name to the plant in gratitude. A life-size bronze statue of points that still stands in his honor in downtown Greenville, South Carolina. However, he was cast out of Mexico within a year of his discovery, having earned a local reputation for intrusive political maneuvering that extended to a network of secretive Masonic lodges and schemes to contain, uh, to contain British influence. Is the poinsettia name losing its luster? As more people learn of its namesake's complicated history, the name poinsettia has become less attractive in the U.S., Unvarnished published accounts reveal points it as a disruptive advocate for business interests abroad, a slaver on a rice plantation in the U.S., and a secretary of war who helped oversee the forced removal of Native Americans, including the westward relocation of the Cherokee populations to Oklahoma, known as the Trail of Tears. In the new biography titled Flowers, Guns, and Money, historian Lindsay uh, Schakenbach Regal describes the cosmopolitan points it as a political and economic pragmatist who Oh wow! I just all of a sudden got a lump in my throat. <laughs> a lump in my frog in my throat. Hold on, give me a second. Um, as as soon I? as you got the economic, yeah. pragmatist. <laughs> the, 
as a political and economic pragmatist who considered with uh, conspired with the Chilean independence leader and colluded with British bankers in Mexico. Though he was a slave owner, he opposed secession and did not live to see the Civil War. Uh, shaken back regale renders through tough judgment on Poinsett's treatment and uh, of and regard for indigenous peoples. Because Poinsett belonged belong to learned societies, contributed to botanist collections, and purchased art from Europe, he could more readily justify the expulsion of natives from their homes, she writes. A Christmas flower of many names. The cultivation of the plant dates back to the Aztec Empire in Mexico 500 years ago. Um, I really did not choose a good article for me <laughs> pronouncing things correctly, did I? No. no uh, I'm looking ahead. I, I, like, oh. I Forgive me if, for things I am clearly pronouncing wrong. Uh, this is the first time I'm – well. First time I'm reading them aloud. <laughs> I've read them in my head a couple of times. <laughs> so among Natual speaking communities of Mexico, uh, the plant is known as the uh, Cula Shoshit, yeah. uh, or Quetla Shoshit, meaning flower that withers. It is an apt description of the thin red leaves on wild varieties of the plant that grow to heights above three meters. Year-end holiday markets in Latin America brim with a potted plant known in Spanish as the Flor de Nochebuena, or Flower of Christmas Eve, which is entwined with celebrations of the night before Christmas. The Nochebuena name is traced to early Franciscan friars who arrived in, uh, from Spain in the 16th century. Spaniards once called it uh, Scarlet Cloth. Additional nicknames abound uh, Santa Catarina in Mexico, Estrella Federal, or Federal Star in Argentina, and Pinacho de Incan, or Headdress in Peru. Ascribed in the 19th century, the Latin name Euphorbia pulcherima means the most beautiful of a diverse mil- uh, diverse genus with a milky sap of latex. So what is the preferred name? Uh, it's Quet La Chochit, uh, is winning over some enthusiasts among Mexican youths, including the Aspora in the U.S., according to Elena Jackson Aberon, a professor of Mexican history and global and intercultural studies at Miami University of Ohio. Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. I've seen a trend towards people openly saying, don't call this flower either poinsettia or nocho buena. It's quetla, quetla shoshit. Yeah, quetla shoshit, said uh, Jackson Albaran. There's going to be a good, big, ho- big cohort of people who are like, who cares? Most ordinary people in Mexico never say poinsettia. They don't talk about poinsettia, according to Laura Trejo, a Mexican biologist who's leading studies of genetic history in the U.S. poinsettia. I feel like it's only the historians, the diplomats, and, well, the politicians who know the history of poinsettia, Trejo said. The Mexican roots of the U.S. poinsettias. Mexican biologists in recent years traced the genetic stock of the U.S. poinsettias to a wild plant in the Pacific coastal state of Guerrero, verifying lore that about poinsettia's pivotal encounter there. The scientists are also researching a rich, untapped diversity of other wild variants in efforts that may help guard amongst, uh, against the poaching of the plants and theft of genetic information. The flower still grows wild along Mexico's Pacific coast and parts of Central uh, Central America as far as Costa Rica. Trejo of the National Council of Science and Technology in the central state of... Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to apologize again. I'm stumbling through parts of this. Tlaxcala. Uh, it's T-L-A-X-C-A-L-A. Said some informal markets still sell sun quetlachochit. Uh, that resembles wild varieties alongside modern, uh, modern patented varieties. In her field research travels, Trejo's found households that preserve ancient traditions associated with the flower. It's clear to us that this plant, since the pre-Hispanic era, 
is a ceremonial plant, an offering, because it's still in our culture in the interior of the uh, country to cut the flowers and take them to the altars, she said in Spanish. Uh, and this is the primary, primarily associated with the maternal goddess, the Kwatlikou, the Tonantzin, and the now Virgin Mary. A lasting figure in history, regardless of his troubled history, points its legacy as an explorer and collector continues to loom large. Some 1,800 meticulously tended poinsettias delivered in November and December from the greenhouses in Maryland to a long list of museums in Washington, D.C., affiliated with the Smithsonian Institution. A pink champagne cultivar adorns the National Portrait Gallery this year. Poinsett's name may uh, may also live on for his connection to other areas of U.S. culture. He advocated for the establishment of the National Science Museum and in part with his efforts... Uh, to, to his efforts, a fortune bequeathed by British scientist James Smithson was used to underwrite the creation of the Smithsonian Institution. Wow, so, that's a mouthful. Yeah, sorry for uh, for no. a lot of mispronunciations I'm, and all that there. I'm wondering if the Philadelphia botanist that he gave one to was James Bartram. Yeah, that's I what was kind of wondering who it might be too, but that would make James sense. James Bartram did his ex- expositions down into Georgia and, and South Carolina, yeah. so that they, they probably mm-hmm. crossed paths. Yeah, so it's uh, – I really liked this. I, I do really like to get into uh, history, especially like American history yeah. and and pre-colonial history. Um, and this is kind of a little bit of both. Where, but it's such a common flower. It's one I've really kind of grown to dislike uh, because I just feel like it's so overused. But it seems like it. That's a. It was traditionally overused in a sense. I don't want to say overused, but it's traditionally used as well, which makes me rethink some of my thoughts on it. But, um, yeah, it's uh, – I really just – I I agree with part of this saying, like, you look at a lot of the invasive species out there that we that people love, yeah. like uh, burning bush and, and uh, tree of heaven and those kind of things. They have these really, like, sexy names and – they have names where they came from that I think are fitting in in yeah. their own way. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, this is something maybe we should be calling it by its real name, not to necessarily to, to knock on points it, but, but because it had it. such a long history before that. Yeah. So we're naming something that has thousands of years of, of history and being like a treasured plant. And then just a, an American guy comes along and we name it after him. But I'm so, sure you could say that for a lot of our oh, local yeah, native plants a without things, a doubt. Yeah. Oh, I would say most of them. Yeah. Um, well, Franklinia yeah. is after Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. And it was a lot of Maha because I think it was found yeah. along the Alada Maha River. Yeah. Which, so, and there's like with Jeffersonii, uh, yeah. I can't remember what plant it is that has that epithet after it for yeah, Thomas I, Jefferson. It, it's, it, I mean, it just seemed like it's no different than than putting your flag on a yeah. on a piece of land and saying yeah. I claim this by putting your name on a, a plant like I found this. Yeah, it, you weren't the one that found it; you were the one that just brought it to a different audience. Yeah, so I think it's um, I think it could be a really interesting, uh, and it could also be a very controversial thing, but I think it could like by. by Talking more about its Aztec name um, could raise a really cool question yeah. in uh, around the holiday season, and and 
Quetlo Shoshi. Yeah, I think. Is that it? Quetlo uh, Quetlo Shoshi. I don't know why I had such a hard time pronouncing it when every time I saw it. It's a hard name to uh, remember. Yeah, it's spelled differently than how it sounds, which I think is a lot of it. Um, Yeah, so yeah, I just, I I really like this whole path that I went down. Um, And it's not necessarily a, a... Northeast an, native plant, but no, it's but it's a it's an interesting conversation that you can yeah. have with most native plants. That oh yeah, um, at least in the North America, mm-hmm. North Americas, um, yeah, be very interesting to look at some of these histories and uses, and a lot of that information's been lost at this point. Oh but, yeah, there's a there's a lot more information about how um, how indigenous people use this plant uh and how like the, the sap was something where mm-hmm. i was used to uh to promote um uh what's the right word breastfeeding in, okay. in mothers i was gonna say diarrhea <laughs> well apparently it, it does that too but uh i was that's raises a good point what's that lactation it promotes like promotes lactation, lactation yes um so that raises a good point friend is how it's gotten this reputation oh it's so poisonous and it turns out it's really not that poisonous i'm sure that got stuck on there some place somewhere to disconnect this is kind of yeah. what we talked a yes. lot a little bit about in our, our herbalism episode yeah. where things are labeled as poisonous and it turns out they aren't actually poisonous it was kind of just something put out there to disconnect its traditional sure. use from what it was so that that part part of yeah. culture would be lost, and we talked about that with Samuel yeah. Thayer in that episode. Oh yeah, and I'm sh- I I don't want to say I'm sure because I don't know with 100 yeah. percent certainty, but I would put a dollar or, or nickel on a bet that that's the case. Yeah, um, and that's why people are so convinced it's poisonous because someone said it just so that they could kind of disconnect it from it, its historical it uses. Would, it would make sense based on what we've learned. Oh yeah, you know through yep. through a lot of this. But that's a fantastic article. Yeah. No, it's just a yeah, like I said, a cool path to go down. And I'm I'm interested in some other plants like that. And uh, I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. I'll be. I just gonna say I'm not convinced. I would like to call it by its name. I got to learn how to pronounce it the right way first. Yeah. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people who look at me and say, "Huh? What's what's that?" <laughs> um, but I think it's a, it's a good conversation starter. Yeah. About why do we call it that? Because I I bet you a lot of people don't realize that poinsettia is just because there was a guy points it who yeah. who found it and brought yeah. it back to the U.S. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Fantastic two good article. articles. Frank. Two two great articles. But I guess uh, the the people are going to vote and see which one <laughs> is actually good. <laughs> yes, there there can only, there can be only one. So we're we'll post this on Monday. Uh, the vote. Make sure you vote. Uh, because. And of course, the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. All right, we actually. Have a lot of listener shout outs. We sure do. Today. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, shout out. Now I have one and you have a lot, but I can actually like contribute along with oh, yeah. yours. Yeah. So, uh, but mine uh, would be to Cynthia Bonds uh, through our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. 
I had posed a question over the new year, how many people have listened to every episode? Uh, because when you go back in the catalog, now that we're at 192 mm-hmm. episodes, that some of the earlier episodes, there's episodes that haven't hit a thousand. Oh yeah, uh, downloads. Yeah. Um, and Cynthia said she had listened through almost multiple times. There may have been a couple episodes she skipped, but she has not so much listened to listened through once, but listened through multiple times. Actually, we've had a couple this week. We've had a lot of our listeners reach out via email who have said they've listened to every episode and listened yeah. from the oh, beginning, yeah. but they, they're not part of the Facebook group or they hadn't contacted us before. So it's nice to hear from those people uh, just knowing that they're out there and they're fans. And mm-hmm. and whether it's good feedback or, or negative feedback, it's it's still nice to get. Yeah, so definitely. We, we appreciate all of you. Thank you. So And then mine this week, uh, a couple of folks who wrote in about Spotify, uh, you had Christopher.C.Pine. Uh, wrote in about the chestnut episode and said, great episode, fascinating story. And we've been talking about doing a little follow-up to that yeah. with uh, some of the the press releases and and uh, other things that are going on with that. I don't know if we'd have the same panel. And, and honestly, it might be a two-part thing yeah. because it seems like with that episode, you had a unified path and some things have happened in the chestnut world and um, that seems that... They're still working towards the same goal, but it kind of has diverged a little bit, and there's two different tracks that are happening now. So um, I don't want to go too in-depth in it, but it's not all hope is – a lot of people took that as all hope is lost, Yeah, Uh, the news that came out about Darling 58 that we had talked a lot about. Um, But I got to see Sarah Fern Fitzsimmons over the summer, and she's like, oh, Darling 58 looks good, but there's some other stuff that we're working on that looks way better. And – so I know there's SUNY SF is still going to work with Darling 58. It's not like they just – they didn't throw up their hands on it. Yeah. But um, And then there's some other stuff coming in the works that looks like it has a lot of promise. So, I, I like the yeah. idea of a two-part series on that for yeah. two different – Yeah. You know, each each path that is being taken. Mm-hmm. So – And that was also our, our most listened to episode, so. Yeah. Exactly. You got to give the people what they want. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then, then you had uh, Andrew who – also wrote it on Spotify about the Meet Griff Griffiths episode, and he enjoys his videos when they came up on his newsfeed. And as a native Californian now in Illinois, he appreciates hearing about conservation in his uh, former home state. So, yeah. uh, and that's something else we want to. There's a, a potential future guest that we're going to have from out that way. Yeah. And uh, oh, and the Canadians can can shout for joy because come February we're going to have something for you. <laughs> sure, we actually were going to record it last week and. Between some illness and some double bookings, we yeah. were doing it in February instead. Yeah, so um, that's coming up. You'll uh, hopefully you'll be excited about that. Yeah, one. and then like I mentioned, we were at the uh, a little conference last week, which was the Southeast Pennsylvania Nursery and Landscape Green Expo. Okay. I think was the Green, Indus- Green, Green Industry Green Council, Council I think, uh, or conference Green Industry Green Industry conference. conference. Yeah, and um, there we got to meet John Jensen and Kevin Wood, and they both said they listened and uh, and. Was just knowing their backgrounds in the industry was an honor that they they appreciated what we did too. I always like hearing that. I'm yeah. all, I don't know why, but I'm always shocked when we're at an industry thing and people come oh, up and yeah. say yeah. that. Uh, uh, and it was also I'm trying to remember her name uh, that came up to us at the end of the day. Was it Margie? I'm blanking on it because that I think she they said to, she was with Rutgers and then oh uh, Margaret Pickoff yeah yeah because she was saying that she listens that's right yeah I didn't get she listens as well 
So yeah, but thank you to to John, Kevin, and Margaret. Margaret. Um, no, we really appreciate that you guys listen, and it's 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 flattering that we get as many listens as we do. But it's uh, I guess it's really flattering when it's people that we really have uh, admire in the industry and and have roles where they're doing this on a day to day basis. They take the time to to listen to some of this stuff too. Because I consider them the professionals. I oh, never yeah. consider myself yeah. the professional. I consider them the professional. Yeah, it's funny. It's um, it's like it's imposter like I syndrome. I still a don't bit. consider myself a native plant expert, but neither do I. It's one of those things. You go to the, one of those meetings and you're surrounded by the people we consider experts, yeah. and you're like, "Oh yeah, I don't know a thing." Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm not you, one of them. <laughs> then I go over over Christmas and like we're having debates about. Or I was at a I was at a little uh social function the other night and people were talking about red maples and i'm like you guys don't know what you're talking about at all <laughs> and i'm just like i'm just gonna let you go i'm not chiming in because talking about where red maples grow and then we got in norway maples and then i just had well that's an invasive species so you shouldn't you shouldn't be cutting them down <laughs> you shouldn't be cutting them down um but there's a paper i just saw linked on facebook about it was from 1998 and it was all about like the red maple boom and how okay. when a lot of these agricultural fields farms went out of business or they were taken back for whatever reasons yeah. you had this huge surge of red maples because it's a, a faster growing tree yeah. grows in a lot of different conditions um pretty tolerant of a lot of different climates and you so in red ma- there's more red maples in the US than I think any other tree. I wow. forget where I I've heard that statistic before and I'm pretty sure it was red, red yeah. maples are one or two. Yeah. Um and yeah and now it's like actually a problem. We have a, we have too many red maples in a lot of these places and they're shading out the other things yeah. that should be coming up. And it was promoting how you should cut down some red maples. Wow. I didn't get to dive in the whole paper but I'm I'm really interested in reading it. Whenever I can That's find another time. rabbit hole to oh, go yeah. down. Totally. So yeah, it's a uh, the whole question was posed on it was it was in the Native Habitat Managers Facebook group. And okay. The question was posed: Hey, I'm seeing it's this supposed. I thought this group was about promoting native habitats, but I'm seeing a lot of people talking about cutting down native plants in native habitats. What gives? Yeah, and that's what the person that's said: is you have these artificial ecosystems that do provide some benefit and are full of native plants. But they're making it harder for the full ecosystem to be there. Yeah. And that's why we have to come in and due to other imbalances, we have to come in and kind of push the, the cycle along. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for all your kind words and everyone that's reached out to us. Uh, we really pe- appreciate it more than you know. Um, speaking of reaching out, we do have a question or comment. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um, no, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So I didn't listen to this one. We know the gist of it, but we haven't listened. So yeah. we're hearing this. This is one of the ones where we're listening to it for the first time as well. So we don't always do that, but we we kind of – I do get a, a transcription every time we get a message. So I can scan it real quick to at least see what yeah, the, yeah. the focus is. So here we go. Hey, Tom and Fran. My name's Jimmy Rogers, and I'm a native gardener down in Laurel, Maryland, and I love the show, especially Native Plant Every Day. However, today I'm calling in as a Wild Ones Greater Baltimore member, which is in turn part of an advocacy group called Maryland Native Plant Coalition. 
Um, last year, the coalition got a voluntary native plant labeling law passed in Maryland, and this year we're going after invasive species. Uh, we were excited to hear about New Jersey's unanimous passage of an invasive species ban. I hear it's just waiting for the governor's signature, so if that's still the case, I think New Jersey folks can write in or call in. Uh, but we're still working on the final bill language from the, or waiting on the final bill language from the legislative staff. But basically, the Maryland bill would take a bunch of warning required plants and move them to a prohibited from sale list. Plus, it would make the process for listing new plants as prohibited much, much quicker. Right now, it takes months per species, and this would shorten it to days per species. And we also want to make sure that there's a staffing appropriation to make sure everything occurs the way it's supposed to after bill passage. Um, I'm calling it at the start of January, as the new legislative session is just starting. But by the time this airs, we might be further along and need Maryland residents to reach out to their representatives. We already have sponsors in both chambers, and it should hit the committee soon. So if any of your listeners are interested in following the bill's progress or want to support the bill if they're Maryland residents, we're most easily found at the Facebook page, Ban the Sale of Invasive Plants in Maryland, um, or you can email us at banmdinvasive at gmail.com. Thanks for the airtime, and keep on doing what you're doing. Bye. I think that was a wonderful call. I'm just writing this down for show notes because I, I would like to be able to put the email address on the Facebook page in show notes. Uh, let's see. So, Jimmy, thank you so much. Uh, he had messaged us earlier in reference to this, and we thought it would be a great idea for him to reach out mm-hmm. directly and give the yeah. information. And it's exciting to hear that that these laws don't just get passed and let go, that they need to be reworked a little bit as things change mm-hmm. because sure. had the New Jersey invasive plant bill been passed originally, what was it, 20 years ago when your father was on the mm-hmm. board, it would look a lot differently yeah. today than it would and, have been 20 years ago. Re- yeah, a little bit with New Jersey is actually it was passed. There was a committee that kind of went through it and then um, – there were some holdups due to some nurseries that weren't happy with things. They weren't even on the banned list. They were on the watch list, yeah. per se. And um, and then it got held up enough that there was a change in uh, governor, and then the new governor, was his. he came in. Well, Chris Christie came in yeah. saying, hey, I'm cutting the fat. we yeah. got to get rid of things that are costing us money that shouldn't cost us money. And he took a thing that was all volunteer-based and really didn't cost any money and yeah. said, let's get rid of it, uh, along with many, many other things. But um, so it, we actually – and this was better for the nursery industry and the environment, environment um, because you had a, a list of plants, things to target, and you had a process. Got tossed. Now 2023 comes. It's just passed on the governor's desk still, I believe. Um, and it's, uh, now instead of a list of 10 plants, it's a list of 23 plants and the nurseries are really, or a lot of nurseries are really upset. Most of them are saying, Hey, we kind of knew this was coming eventually. Just look, look around at all these other States. And then there's some that somehow we're still surprised. Um, and, but it's, it's a good thing. It's still a great thing for the environment. I think it was, it's friendly to the nursery industry. Most nurseries are on board with it and um, and want to move forward. It gives them an opportunity. 
uh, one of our friends, yeah. uh, Fran, guy Fran used to work with for a long time, and I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, uh, basically said, hey, if if something like this means I can then coach my customers into what I want them to buy, and I can especially do it if it's a native plant, I'd love to sell more native plants. Yeah. But if people aren't coming to buy them, I'm not going to grow them. Yeah. Um, but he's like really excited by this saying, Hey, I can coach him into what I want. And a lot of times I can do that with a native well, plant, which is easier for me to get. I know where to buy them. And, uh, and, and a lot of times they're easier to grow. Yeah. And they're easier to grow. So it's, uh, he's excited. A lot of the nurseries I think are, uh, or, or at least more business minded nurseries really excited yeah. about this, the potential here, not looking at it and say, Oh, this is a giant loss. Yeah. Um, it's so yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that in Maryland, uh, I guess yeah. It's if you're in Maryland, now's a good time to to get on board. Join the Facebook group; they'll kind of keep you in the loop. Uh, their Facebook group, yeah. uh, they'll keep you in the loop of where Which you should be. And the sale of invasives in Maryland, if I yeah. if I wrote yeah. it down correctly. So then so. there'll be a call to action when the time is right yeah. for those kind of things. So awesome. Um, yeah, no, I think it's great. And then there's only going to be a handful of states after that that don't have any sort of legislation around this topic. Do you know what they are? I do not. I've been trying to look for a list, and then I was just thinking, I'm like, maybe I'm the one who should be making the list and with <laughs> dates and all that. It's it's really it's pretty hard to to find all that information. Yeah, um, it's not that widely pub- publicized, and then a lot of it comes down to the enforcement. Yeah. It's is is it actually enforced or is it just a a feel good? We did regulation. It. Yeah. yeah. So so we we don't have a grow read a book or. Well, there is a book I want to touch on. It's not okay. a full grower. Okay, book. sure. So it's not worthy of the jingle. Okay. But um, I did read a book called, and it's it's been out for a little while now, but it's called uh, American Dirt by Janine Cummings. All right. And um, a lot of the books I've read recently, it's, it's interesting hearing authors' descriptions of the environment. And like uh, in, the, in this book, it's actually a tale of uh, a Mexican family that then comes to the U.S. and the reasoning for them to come to the U.S., uh, the struggle that they went through. But there's a, a period where they're really describing the environment that they're walking through as they're crossing the desert okay. into the U.S. trying to get to to Arizona. And um, it's, yeah, I think in this book they did a pretty good job. There's some other books where I'm like, oh, they, they didn't really describe the what I would either picture the environment to look like or – um, what I know the environment should look like very well, but uh, no, it's just uh, it's something that I think um, uh, it's a book I encourage people to read because it's something that you should be aware of. It's especially nice. when it comes to immigration; it's an illegal immigration. It's not. Um, it's definitely not sunshine and rainbows. There's a, a big reason, and especially with our our industry yeah. and knowing our workforce and getting to know the people that we have that have come from uh, internationally, uh, they didn't leave necessarily because they wanted to. Yeah. It was, there was re- they a lot of times were forced to because of uh, cartel violence, gang violence. Um, sometimes it's as simple as just they, there's no work, but a lot of times it's a, a much harsher reason yeah. and we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. Now I, I don't know if that's, I don't know what the answer is, but um, yeah, it's I- just a, interesting book to kind of put some things in perspective i may actually pick up that flower guns and money book i was that thinking was, that too uh, that sounds pretty neat i actually you know none of them are 
are podcast related, but I read two and a half books over the break. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm back into a reading kick, I was just thinking, I was like, that sounds like a book I would like to read. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's uh, is definitely interesting. Uh, like I said, it's not, I don't, I don't over the broader subject of legal immigration. I don't know what the answer is. And I don't even know if I really have a, a strong opinion necessarily one way or the other. No, like knowing people yeah. that uh, have come here, even just legally, what they're coming from. Yeah, um, and we hear it. We hear it all the time. Yeah. Well, one of the things is uh, with housing in some places. Like I look at it from my American standpoint, and I'm like, man, I, I in college I lived in worse, but it's I. Damn. I wouldn't feel comfortable living in these conditions now in my life. And then you have uh, people for, who are coming here saying, well, this this is the nicest place I've ever lived. And it's just our standard is so much higher. Um, and some of these comforts that we have that we consider rights or, or yeah. must-haves are not even on the radar yeah. in some of these other places just because it's – such a depressed area compared to what we have. So yeah, it's like I said, it just puts a lot of things in perspective. um, And you can, I don't think it pushes a certain agenda. Um, It just kind of tells a story and you can come away with what you want out of it. So, and and what's the name of the book? again? uh, That was uh, American dirt by uh, what was, who was, what was her name? Janine. I should have it right here. Janine Cummings. So, all right. Awesome. Yeah, we should, you want to start putting those in the show notes also? Like when you do a Yeah, we probably should. I also read Blood Meridian, but I don't know if anyone wants to hear about that one. <laughs> it's a uh, Cormac McCarthy novel. And at one point I was like kind of sh- – I I just didn't realize, realize where I was in the book. I'm like I feel like I missed something and I was looking up like – and then that's a big thing with – it It says it's, uh, it's not a very popular book among female readers. Um, it's definitely more of a, a guy's book because it's very violent. Um, also, I think he did a good job describing the environment um, in in some instances. But then I was surprised to find out it was it's regarded as like one of the greatest pieces of American literature. Really, it was not heralded at the time when it came out in like eighteen fifty or nineteen eighty five. Wow! But today, it's that um, it's a it's more of a it has other tones, but it's a fairly uh, accurate depiction of the American Southwest pre-Civil War through Manifest Destiny and articulates uh, how when you hear the wild, wild West, what that actually meant and all the theft and murder and crazy stuff that was just going on um, out there. So, yeah, Cormac McCarthy, known for... <laughs> not being a, a very uh, uh he's not run also not writing about sunshine and rainbows so. <laughs> and unicorns yeah, and, but. So, so for topic it's it's kind of a topic and it's somewhat follow-up but we wanted to just touch yeah. on last week's episode episode 191 on journey into herbalism because we have gotten a lot of feedback yeah from our listeners and it it seems that some people really enjoyed it some people felt it yeah. it lacked some scientific yeah uh and that knowledge. was actually or that it wasn't really native plant based yeah. at all when um when fran uh it, fran you ask this question a lot i don't know if you realize this but uh when we're done an episode and it's especially when it's like a new guest someone we haven't really interacted with outside yeah. of email 
Um, Fran will ha- uh, finish, and then we'll say our goodbyes. The person hangs up, and he's like, well, Tom, what do you think? And I'm like, <laughs> kind of a loaded question, but it is. it's, it's a lot of times um, – you have, I don't want to say... You have a feel. You have like, a feel. And I was like, well, I think there's some people who are really going to love this one, and there's some people who are going to hate it. And I think it really revolves around, like, the science aspect of it. Um, and I think it was a really, like, it was a really good primer. Yeah. It's a, hey, this is a thing. I, my think, big takeaway is... Where can we learn more? Yeah, where can we learn more? Because there's so many of these plants, kind of like we talked about with poinsettias, and I brought up during the episode with... What did Native Americans use? Is they they weren't relying on basil and yeah. uh, and rosemary. They didn't have those things. They were using something to season their food. Um. So what what are the like? There are things here, yeah. and I think there's a crossover that's just starting to happen between this uh, the whole herbalism idea and foraging and native plants, and it's meat. It's just starting to intersect now. Yeah. So that's kind of where we wanted to go with it is find that intersection and kind of figure out where it is. I think I think because it, the topic was a little more controversial to some of our mm-hmm. listeners yeah. where I think had – in a perfect world had the conversation been a little more science-based mm-hmm. and a little bit more focused on native plants. I think it would have gone a lot – Yeah. A lot the way – because some people view herbalism the same way as they view I, – I don't know, like – Eastern medicine. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like, well, show me the facts. This mm-hmm. is and, – and we got sent a lot of papers with saying this isn't true. This And, and yeah. I agree with, with mm-hmm. everything that was said to us. I don't disagree yeah. with you at, at all. It was – I think this was a good primer. I think yeah. we, we can revisit it again at a, another point and have it a little more in yeah. depth. Yeah, I would, I would be really excited to take that next step. Yeah, um, me too. And so, like, as I'm again, I'm really in the hey, show me the the science behind this. Yeah. But uh, kind of again, going back to the poinsettia article is like there's so many things that we've we've proven to be toxic, yeah. and it's really it's a, a reason to detach things from our uh, not from our history, but from Native American history. No. And so there's, and I think. A, a, any kind of emerging field, and I hate to call it an emerging field because it's been around for a long time, but it's yeah. starting to become more popular. Yeah. You have, there's that, the people who are, it's happened with native plants. There's people who are in native plants that, because they see dollar signs, and then there's the people who are in native plants because they believe in what it does. Yeah. And, um, and you'll often have claims that was a good email we got about another uh, claim. Yeah. I don't know if I don't want to get into that. But you have claims yeah. about what things can do, and it's not really proven. And there may be some validity there, and but sometimes it's just a claim to get money in and product yeah. out. Um, so, And I'm, I'm not saying that's what our guest was doing. No, no. It's just no, something no. that's happening, and I think that's turning some people off to the topic. And, um, and you're looking at where we are our status quo and this is something new and sometimes there's research done just to say hey we need to get rid of this something and, new and based on experiences yeah. the the people that reached out to us had legitimate concerns oh, yeah. with yeah. without a doubt we're not disqualifying that at all yeah. it's here's what I'm I'm proud about we were able to bring a topic that some people like some people didn't like and sparked a lot of conversation and it's sparking a lot of people to do more research and looking look mm-hmm. into it a little bit more it is on the fringe of what we do, but if the conversation's right, it does 
factor yeah. into what we do. Yeah. Last night, I I had a cup of elderberry and echinacea uh, herbal tea. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's yep. it's um it does somewhat cross over. We need to have the next conversation about yeah. it. I think it it definitely crosses over. Yeah, it's um it's like it's where that crossover is. Yeah, and I think the it probably isn't formed yet where it's like an all native herbalism yeah. with the research behind it. Just, I don't, just don't think it exists yet. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, but know. I don't, yeah, again, I don't know, but we, we listen and we heard you yeah, and, definitely. and we appreciate all the positive and the negative feedback on it. And mm-hmm. I think, I don't know. I feel like we did our job because oh, yeah. we presented something that was controversial to some people loved by others. And it's bringing out all this conversation and, and research and feedback, which, yeah. which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it reminds me a lot of my my arguments with my brother, and I reference yeah. my brother yeah. in that, yeah, because he's he's he does it on his own. He doesn't really have any or much research on it, but he's like, oh yeah, no, I heard this, I saw this, I read this, and he's like all bought in. And I'm like, hey, show me the show me the research. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I think it's kind of like that. But yeah, it's just. Yeah. I think the the research is there and you got to find it or it's coming. Yeah. And I think um, it's somewhere – yeah, there's an in-between. Yeah. There's that crossroads and that's what and we I'm touched, interested to see where that we is. We touched on a little bit like nettles being an uh, antihistamine, like mm. things like yeah. that. Like yeah. we, we touched on it briefly, but this was – There was someone uh, – was it Santino brought up on the Facebook group about um, yeah, he, Salix? He, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, that would be a cool deep dive where yeah. the Salix has the um, – Blanking on the what it, I am too. The, what's in aspirin? Oh, but that's yeah. yeah. That, that it contains it in the bark. Yeah, it's in it's in the bark, and um. A lot and I of think medicines. we've talked about that. Yeah. Prior on the podcast, at some point. Yeah, we referenced that it yeah. had that, but yeah. like actually do a deep dive on. Hey, this is why this works, works and yeah. like this is why this part is is used that way. Yeah. So. Yeah, awesome. Interesting. Awesome. But we appreciate everyone's feedback. Keep it coming. Yep. Like for we, sure. we we listen, we read, we comment. So we appreciate it. Um so my take it or leave it actually ties back into my plan. I love how that your that's hot tied into your article. My that's hot kind of goes into take it or leave it, even though it is a native plant. Yeah. Cattails. A lot of people won't use this plant, mm-hmm. won't plant this plant. And they have a very negative feeling about it. I tried to highlight some of the positives, right? And we yeah. say it all oh, the yeah. time: right plant, right place. But how do you feel as if you're doing a restoration? Do you need to use cattails? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. For me, no. I, I don't think you. I don't think you need to use them because I think they're going to pop up. On their oh, own. that's true. Too. And uh, sorry, Fran. I know you no. try and sell cattails, but no. I think a lot of times with cattails. They're going to get there on their own, um, and you don't necessarily need to use them. And sometimes by using them, you're, you can create a bigger issue for yeah. your desired goal. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for the wetland you've created, but it's you're trying to make it – a lot of times you're trying to have that happy place where it looks nice, it has some flowers in it, and then it also functions. The cattails allow it to mostly function, maybe not exactly how it was designed to function, but 
it loses a lot of that that value. And then you have the general public kind of looks at it and says, oh, I don't really like those. So I, I, I have to be honest, where we sell it, it gets used for very specific instances yeah. that other plants yeah. won't survive. So it, it will get used for – there's a lot of sewage phytoremediation yep. uses for it, and, and we see it uh, all the time. The other one being you, when you – I know this is getting specific, but you have – I have a basin, and it's supposed to drain within 48 hours. But instead, it's going to have a foot of water in it for six months of the year, yep. and then it's going to be dry for the other six months of the year. There's not too many native plants that take those conditions because it's not so much a natural condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cattails are the one plant that if you're trying to establish something and use something native that has benefits, it's one of the few plants that will live in that those harsher conditions. Yeah, for sure. Are a little bit more unnatural. So in a normal restoration, am I am I specking it? I, I don't think I am because I agree with you. There's certain yeah. things like sweet gum are going to volunteer in, mm-hmm. cattails are going to volunteer in. You don't necessarily have to you don't have to uh, introduce them, and and sometimes they can cause more problems. But there's certain instances where it's the only option. Yeah, I I think it's use it where that's what you have to use. Yeah, and um, places where you don't have to use it, expect them to show up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I as a plant, I'm not a, I like them. I'm not a, yeah. opposed to them at all. Um, I just yeah. I kind of. I just wanted I to have it. the conversation about it because it is a native plant. It's mm-hmm. not invasive. It is can be aggressive in certain situations. Mm-hmm. So, yep. but it still has a purpose. Right plant, right place. Yeah, I, exactly. I'm definitely taking it for so, sure. Yeah, me all too. Right. All right, awesome. So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. R.J. Comer, thank you for our buzz intro theme music. I, I think about all the time every time I hear it how perfect it is for our buzz episodes. Make sure you stream or buy R.J.'s music wherever you consume your music or check out his uh, Americana playlist on Pandora. Thank you to Dave Bennett for our Native Plant Anthem. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. Jimmy Rogers, thank you for calling in this week. You can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And thank you to all our new members of the Native Plant Healthy Planet Facebook group. There was another influx of of new members, which I love seeing, and and some great feedback and conversations. Yeah, so you can buy our Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, still don't have the new logo t-shirts up yet. but uh, We still haven't transitioned the – yeah, even the new artwork into the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we have coming. it, but it's it's yeah. It's probably we're working be on cover photos and stuff. Middle like that. of next month, yeah. that's my guess. Once yeah. we have a little time that's to sit guess. down and do it, um, but you can still support organizations you know and love by going to the top of that page and hitting click here for for t shirts, and it'll take you to to our Teespring store. I saw a couple of them got given as Christmas gifts. That's so, I love, I love seeing that. that. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't already. Please subscribe uh, and leave a five-star review for our podcast wherever you listen. If you're able to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, 
iHeartRadio, any of those. Like Podchaser, yeah. like all those. So all those, if you can subscribe, that does, Over, does a big overcast. favor. And then if you leave five-star review on Apple Podcasts, you get a shout-out on our Buzz episodes. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, do no, you have a secret plan? I don't, but I have a question. Okay. Maybe we can use it instead of a yeah. secret? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jamie brought up that he was a fan of Native Plant Every Day, mm-hmm. and we're already mid-January. Oh, I know. And and we just outlined our schedule today. How are we going to fit it in? Yeah, I figured uh, that's a February problem, not right. a a January problem. <laughs> well, it was right. kind of how I was thinking about things. But just even the February schedule, we're kind of crazy. At yeah, some point, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's going away, but it, I don't know when we're going to do it. It's written, yeah, for the most part. We just have to sit I, down. I and also was thinking about that. Yeah, so. yeah, um, yeah. But we. Uh, I love try. doing it. We're yeah. going to try to do it. It just – if it doesn't come out at the same time this year, please don't be discouraged. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're working our hardest to, yeah, to make it sure. work. Yeah, for sure. So Awesome. Did you have a secret that you wanted to um, – No, not okay. in particular. only All thing right. I was going to say is my, my son had a very unique Christmas. This is the first year he really asked for something yeah. from Santa. And, uh, and we are – yeah, we're doing Santa Claus in our house. And, um, cause, uh, and yeah, he had a very unique request okay. for Santa Claus. Uh, he wanted a red skeleton Jack from like the night. He loves oh, the night yeah. before Christmas. So he wanted a red skeleton Jack robot. And we're saying, man, Santa hat might have a really hard time <laughs> finding that. And he's like, well, Santa Claus is magic. So he can, <laughs> he can, he's going to make it. <laughs> wow. He's got a workshop. Does that he'll, even he'll exist? He'll be able to do it. Does that exist? Oh, I, uh, yes, they sure do. They do? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Santa brought him one, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so he did get one. Yeah, he did get one. I'll show you a picture. All right. Was he excited? He was, it's his, he tells everyone. Wow. That, well, except you. He didn't tell you because yeah, he didn't I haven't. talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> it takes it takes him a little bit to warm up. Yes, man. he did get a, Santa brought him a red skeleton Jack robot. And uh, I don't, yeah, Santa Claus is magic because I don't know how he comes up with these things. But he was able to do it. So do you have I, – I don't know if we have ever talked about this. Can we go in-depth on Santa Claus? Like we should say if you have kids listening, maybe, well, maybe steer I, them away um, from the conversation Yeah, I right was now. wondering about that. It's We're going to talk some, some – yeah. And we're going to talk that's some – good thing. We're going to talk, talk some, some – share some of Santa Claus secrets. Yeah. So, so if, you if have you're kids a child, listen, you get out of here. Get out. You're not allowed <laughs> to hear this. Or you're getting nothing next year. It's, so, so one of the conversations I maybe had. Maybe you should give a, a little pause. Right. Let him actually leave right. the room. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I caught my caught my cup. Did it no spill? Spill. No. Oh, okay. No, good. we're good. Good. Yeah, that was our little. See, <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's a sign. Yeah. So one of the conversations I would have with my kids because they were very cognizant of what other kids got for Christmas, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, I asked for this, and Santa didn't bring me it, and I was good, but other kids got this." So we're trying to impress like cost. So mm-hmm. I don't know how I thought up with this, but on the fly I went with you know, Santa and his workshop make all the toys, but he still, you know, he he doesn't get paid for any of this. So parents still supply the money for the toys that Santa brings. Mm-hmm. So I'm like and some parents have more money than other parents to give Santa to make the toys to bring. Yeah. So I'm like that family had more money to give to Santa for the toys. I'm like we're still subsidizing Santa. 
Yeah. <laughs> He's doing all the work, but we're subsidizing it. And we just didn't have the money that yeah. other families had to to bring a, a Mustang convertible <laughs> for, oh, yeah. for Christmas. Yeah. It's yeah. um that's one of our our things too, is is Santa brings you one modest thing that you want. Yeah. Um and because uh, he is magic and he make crazy things. Yes. But um uh, where was I going with that? One thing my son did notice is that Santa used used the same wrapping paper that that my wife and I okay. used for oh. his gifts last year. Oh. So Santa wow. so yes, we had to break to him that sometimes like because wrapping paper can really be really fragile. You've thrown a big bag, it may rip yeah. and then you can't deliver a gift with with rat, ripped wrapping paper. Yeah. So sometimes on the gifts that might get like bounced around a little bit we have to, we leave the wrapping paper out for Santa Claus so that he doesn't have to wrap it in North Pole. He can do it. He can come to our house and wrap the gift um, so he doesn't have to worry about it getting damaged on the way. It's just something nice we do for him. That's quick so, thinking. Yeah, yeah. Or you leave it out in case a, a, a package gets ripped on the way that he yeah. can yeah, change exactly. it out real quick. And so, I like that. Yeah, but yeah, other than that, it, Christmas was, was good for for – my little boy. Oh, so awesome. It was um, the first the three and a half first year. He like, he was like really into it. Yeah. And it was last year. He's two and a half. And he like opened one thing. I want to play with this the rest of the day. <laughs> this year he's like, I want to see everything I got. Well, one of the things we did when the kids were that age, Santa always put one present together under the tree. Mm-hmm. So when they came out, they had something to play with while mommy and daddy were putting all the other oh, toys together. Yeah. 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 So it, it was, it gave us a few breathing minutes where mm-hmm. they had something to do while you're yep. Yep. tearing your hair out trying to put the rest of the things together there oh, you go yeah. some you didn't know you were getting this today but you got a yeah. couple oh yeah santa parenting tips there you go <laughs> so, all right well with that everyone uh thank you again i'm tom and i am fran thanks again everyone coming up we're still we're still talking about what next week's episode is going to be so mm-hmm. we have two ideas you'll find out when we find out <laughs> next week But uh, make sure you uh, stay tuned for next week, and we'll see you again next time. And until then, keep it native. In meadows, woods, wetlands, and dales grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Our native plants, so diverse and so rare, treasures of our land beyond compare. For the friends below, soaring oaks above, each plant has a Wild, like no need to disguise. Native plants, how you grace this land. In your diversity, we will take a stand. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery.
Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.